If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 5. Lord, break the nets. Have I got any fishermen in the room? Any fisherwomen? Anybody who loves to fish? On a day like today, it's like skip church. Let's go to the lake. I think a few people might have done that. I don't know. I hope not. <laughs> Hook up the bass boat. Get my rod and reel. Get my stuff together. My tackle box. My fishing net. Cane pole. Anybody here ever fish with a cane pole? I have. Go to the lake. Go to the river. Go to the farmer's pond. Get some catfish. Go to the ocean. Go to the Gulf. Anybody here like to fish? Well, today, we're going to talk about fishing. Did you know that Simon Peter and several other disciples were fishermen? Not just recreational fishermen. They were professionals. But in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is giving Simon Peter a lesson about fishing. Verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, also called the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Nobody taught like Jesus. People hung on every word. He had an anointing from the Holy Spirit that was amazing. And he spoke with authority. He didn't have to quote from other Jewish rabbis or teachers. He spoke straight from the Word of God. He was the Word of God. He was the authority on this earth. God who came in flesh. And when he spoke, people listened. And he could back up his speaking, his preaching, his teaching with miracles. He could speak to the sick and say, be well. He could speak to the dead and say, rise from the dead. He could speak to demons and say, get out of that person. He made lame people walk, blind people see. And when he spoke, he spoke with an incredible authority. And Jesus appealed to the common man. Most of his listeners were ordinary folks like fishermen. Many were notorious sinners like Jewish tax collectors who ripped people off for a living, they would take advantage of their own people, charge an exorbitant amount of taxes, give some of it to the Roman government, and put the excess in their own pockets. And some of them, like Zacchaeus, got rich off of it. Other listeners to Jesus were sexually immoral or just plain old sinners. Most of them were not the cream of the crop. Aren't you glad? That means there's hope for you and hope for you and hope for you and all of you. There is hope for all of us because of Jesus Christ. He's not waiting for you to attempt to get your act together this morning. He's not waiting for you to come to church 15 times in a row. He's not waiting for you to clean your life up on your own. Jesus Christ sees you right there in your sin, and he loves you. He died for you. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8, that God 
demonstrated his love for you and that while you were yet a sinner, Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died on the cross for your sin. Not because you could ever do anything to earn it or deserve it, but because he loves you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That's how much God loves you. More than anyone on this earth has the capacity to love, God loves you. Jesus died for you. In Isaiah 55, God says, come. All you who are thirsty and you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Jesus is calling you today. You don't have to put a lot of money in the offering plate. You don't have to put in a dime. You don't have to get yourself together. What you'd have to do is come just as you are. In fact, the Bible says that our self-righteous deeds, our best deeds on our best day, on our best day, are but filthy rags in the sight of our God. There is no way we can earn a right relationship with Jesus Christ. We come as we are. Go to verse 2. He, that's Jesus, saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. These fishermen were not expecting a miracle. They're just doing their jobs, making a living, washing their nets, getting ready for the next catch. It's possible that at least seven of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. We know that at least four were, Peter and Andrew, James and John. Verse 3 says, he, that's Jesus, got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, better known to us as Simon Peter, and Jesus asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Apparently, the people were crowding so closely around Jesus that day. We don't know how many. Might have been a few dozen. It might have been a few hundred. It could have been more. But they were crowding up so closely to Jesus that the people that were in the back couldn't see, they couldn't hear. And so Jesus stands up on a boat in order for the crowd to be able to see and hear what he had to say. Go to verse 4. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Let's do some fishing, Peter. Let's put the nets down out there in the deep water, and let's catch some fish. In verse 5, Peter answered, Master, we've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. Jesus, this is a total waste of time. Let's not go back out again. You ever been there? You tried. You did your best. You put in the work. You tried to do what God called you to do. And it didn't work out. You fell flat on your face. And you don't want to try it again. Simon Peter has been out all night trying to catch fish. He is a professional. He knows there's no fish to be caught right now in that lake. He does not want to go out. Already tried that. We didn't catch a thing. But Jesus tells Peter, let down the nets. Give it another try. And I think Simon Peter starts to give an excuse. I think he wanted to say no. In the words of Ray Pritchard, Peter is tired. 
he's exhausted, he's dejected, and he's probably in a foul mood. How many of you have ever been in a foul mood? <laughs> How many of you in a foul mood this morning? Maybe somebody said something to you. Maybe somebody did something to you. Maybe something didn't work out the way that you wanted it to work out. How many of you have ever been in a foul mood? Probably all of us at one time or another. I know sometimes I am. Most of us don't take orders very well when we're in a foul mood. We don't even like suggestions. Peter's probably in a foul mood, but Jesus tells him, Peter, go out into the deep water at the worst time of the day for catching fish in a place where real fishermen don't normally catch their fish and try it again. What you probably don't understand is putting these nets into the water was no small undertaking. These particular nets were probably huge. They would have corks on the top and weights on the bottom. They were probably hundreds of feet long. One Bible scholar said they could have been up to a mile or a half a mile long. I can't prove this. But I think there's a part of Simon Peter that's thinking, hold on a minute, Jesus. I know you're a great preacher and all. I know you can teach like no one else can teach. I know you have authority. I know you have power. I've seen you heal sick people. Why, not long ago you healed my mother-in-law. Not so sure how I feel about that right now, but, but you did. No, he did. <laughs> I've seen you at work. I know you can do great things. I haven't got to know you very well just yet. Just starting to think about following you. But I know that you can do incredible things. But I want you to also know this. Jesus, I know fishing. I've been fishing for all my life. I grew up on this lake over here. I know it like the back of my hand. And I want to tell you something, Jesus. If we didn't catch fish last night, when we fished all night, there is no way that we're going to go out there in the middle of the day and catch them right now. It's not happening, Lord. It's very possible that Simon Peter wanted to give Jesus a bit of advice. You ever find yourself advising God on how to best run your life? God, you don't understand. We don't need to go there. We don't need to do that. We don't need to be around those people. We don't want to be a part of that plan. We don't want to do this, Lord. Don't you understand? This is not going to work. I tried it before. It didn't work out so hot the last time. Why in the world do you want me to try it again? You see, the Bible tells us that God's ways are not our ways. They're higher than our ways. They're different than our ways. They're better than our ways. In Jeremiah 29, 13, God told his people, I know the plans I have for you. They're for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all. Say the word all with me. All of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Say it with me. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. You see, the all part's what gives me trouble. I can follow God pretty much in what God wants me to do, as long as it makes sense to me. But following God when it doesn't make sense or when I don't want to do it, now that's another story. 
Peter could have said, sorry, Jesus, I'd like to follow your directions, but right now, I'm just too tired. I've been fishing all night. I'm done. Question, how many of you ever get tired? Just don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to go there anymore. I am tired. We all get tired sometimes. We all want to quit sometimes. We all want to give up. But the Bible tells us in Galatians 6, 9, let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season, in God's timing, we will reap a harvest if we faint not, if we don't give up, if we don't quit. Doesn't mean you won't feel like quitting, but by the grace of God, you keep on trusting him. You keep on following Jesus Christ. Amen? 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight says, Be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It doesn't mean it might not feel like it's in vain, because sometimes it will. But what God is saying that, is that if you keep on trusting me, you keep on following me, you keep on believing in me, you keep on hoping in me, even against all hope, you follow me and your labor will not be in vain. Philippians 1.6 says, He who started a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Has God started a good work in you? He is not done with you yet. Peter continues, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But Simon Peter, to his credit, doesn't stop there. He continues, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But nevertheless, because you say so, at thy word, I will let down the nets. Did you catch that? Lord, I really don't want to do this. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I am sure it's not going to work. But if that's what you want me to do, I am willing to obey. Maybe that's one reason why God would later use Simon Peter so greatly. Peter was painfully far from perfect. Like some of us, he seemed to have foot and mouth disease. He would one day even deny Jesus at his crucifixion trial three times. However, Peter was willing to follow Jesus anywhere Jesus would lead. If you're going to be obedient to Jesus, you're going to have to follow him even when you don't like it, even when nothing around you makes sense to you. You have to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. Not just some of them, but in all of your ways, acknowledge him and allow him to direct your paths. Verse 6 says, when they had done so, when they had let down these nets, they caught such a huge number of fish that their nets began to break. Did you catch the order there? The Bible does not say that Jesus showed Peter about 500 fish about 200 feet away from him and said, okay, Jesus, okay, Peter, Here's the fish out there. Now go get them. Didn't happen that way, did it? Jesus says, go. And after Peter went in obedience to Christ, he caught the fish. 
And notice the abundance of the provision. They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Here's a prayer for our church. Lord, break the nets. Lord, do something among us that is so great we can't even handle it. Maybe God sends so many people here that we have to go to three or four or five services. Think, I just can't do it, Lord. Break the nets. Do something incredible beyond anything that we can do. Lord, send so many people to Christ and use us for your glory in such a way that our water bill goes up significantly because we keep baptizing more and more people who follow Jesus. Lord, break the nets. I don't know what that means for us. I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what that means for me or for our church completely. But I do know this. We serve a God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, immeasurably more than all we can ask or think or even imagine. Do you believe that? When Simon Peter went out in obedience to Christ, out into the deep water and he let down the nets... I don't think he was expecting what he saw. He might have thought, well, maybe we'll catch a few. Jesus actually is pretty powerful. I've seen that. But I had no idea he would send so many fish and would break the nets. Not only was Peter blessed by this miracle, those around him were blessed also. Go to verse 7. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Isn't that cool? Not only did God fill Peter's boat, he filled another boat as well. Would to God that he would do such a great work among us that what God was doing here was spilling over into other churches. See, we're not in this alone. We are partnering with others in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because people need the Lord. Now watch Peter's response to the miracle. But when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Peter could not help but see his own inadequacy in relation to the power of Jesus. Too many preachers are just the opposite. Too many preachers are like, hey, you know how many people I led to Christ last year? You see how much our church has been growing? You see how my, great my sermons are? I am Mr. Amazing. No, you're not. If you do anything of lasting value, it's because of the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? Heard about one pastor who got the big head one day. He started believing he's the best preacher that anybody else had ever heard. And he thought, you know, I am pretty amazing. I, and in fact, one day he went to a, a, another pastor's church to preach. And uh, he thought, man, I nailed the sermon today. And after the sermon was over, he stood over there by the door and everybody's shaking their hand, giving the pleasantries. You know how people do after the service. And everybody was kind except for one little old lady. She walks through the line and shakes the preacher's hand and says, too long. Preacher kind of doesn't know what to think, but the same lady gets back in line a second time. 
says, boring. Preacher's just standing there is a little bit dumbfounded. And the same little old lady gets back into the line again. Shakes the preacher's hand a third time and says, please don't come back. And this guest speaker who thought, I'm really good, and I thought I nailed it today, is a little bit upset about it. And so he finally asked the pastor, what is the deal with this lady over here? I mean, I thought I had a really good sermon, and she's saying stuff about me. And the pastor said, oh, that's Mrs. Jones over here. I wouldn't pay a lick of attention to her. She has never had an original thought in her life. All she does is go around repeating what she hears everybody else saying. God has a way of humbling us. And pride isn't just a problem for the preacher. It's also a problem in the pew. It's easy to look down on other people. It's easy to size up people by the clothes that they wear or the car that they drive or the money they have or do not have in the bank and say, these are the important people. Listen, God does not measure importance the way that you measure importance or I measure importance. God tells us that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. He is looking at who we are on the inside. Be careful because pride often comes before a fall. God starts using you to do something really great. Always remember, it's not ultimately you. I remember about 15 years ago, we moved to Cadiz, Kentucky. Anybody here ever heard of Cadiz, Kentucky? Little bitty town, about 2,500 people, maybe 15,000 people in the whole county. But it is known for fishing. It's located right over there on the edge of Lake Barkley, not far from Kentucky Lake. Well, I'm not much of a fisherman, Shortly after I moved there, a a group of laymen started a Christian fishing organization called FOCUS, Fellowship of Christian Anglers Society. And uh, one of my deacons was really active in the group. Twice a year, and you can see his picture down here in the front, Bruce Higby, twice a year they would have a pastor's fishing tournament which would mean one of them would partner with a pastor and they would go out and fish and see who could catch the biggest and the most bass. Well, I am not very good at fishing. <laughs> and uh, in fact, I tend to lose more things when I fish than I, than I catch, okay, like jackets and fishing poles and whatever. But anyway, we actually won at least one tournament, if not two. But it's not because of who I was. It's because of who Bruce was. See, I didn't even catch a keeper. Yet he caught enough for the both of us to win together. (laughs) He supplied all of the equipment. He supplied the boat. He supplied the food. He got me breakfast at 5.30 in the morning, even though I'd rather have slept into 6. He provided everything. And because of him... We won the tournament. Listen, if God starts doing incredible things in your life or in your family or in this church or our community, always remember who gets the glory. 
It's not because of who you are or who I am. All the glory, all the honor goes to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? I love Peter's response here in verse 8. After Jesus performs this amazing miracle and they catch all of these fish, Peter says, Lord, depart from me. For I am a sinful man. I do not deserve to be in your presence. Verse 9 tells us that Peter and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. When's the last time God's power was so obvious to you that you were astonished, that you were amazed, that you saw God do something that was so incredible you couldn't believe it? What did God that the power and presence and favor and blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ will be upon us. And even more importantly, that the character that he is developing within us would be so obvious that to those around us, they would be astonished. You probably know that the point of this miracle is not ultimately about fish. Don't get me wrong, fish are nice. But ultimately, it's not about the fish. You see, the greatest miracles are not the temporary physical miracles the greatest miracles are when jesus changes somebody's life in their direction for all of eternity you see if someone gets sick and they get healed one day they're probably going to get sick again and one day they're going to die if you see somebody have an amazing change in their finances Guess what? They can't take it with them. There's only one miracle that lasts forever, and that is when a person is born again and they become a new person in Jesus Christ who's going to live forever with Christ in that kingdom of God in heaven. That's one reason why last Sunday many of us went out into our neighborhoods. Because we're going to touch people with the love of Christ. That's why, as you leave this place today, I pray and hope that you go out as a missionary for Jesus Christ in this community to touch people with the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. And Jeannie, I think that's one reason why we do things like the women's retreat is because we want to invite people who need to hear the message of Christ because what we do if all it is is something that's temporary, then it really doesn't matter. But if what we do is something that God can use for his glory to bring people to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and to follow him and one day be with him forever in heaven, it's worth it all. Amen? Watch what Jesus said in the last part of verse 10. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Here's the point, Peter. I got something greater for you to do than simply catching fish. I want you to partner with me in reaching the world. The good news of Jesus Christ. He's calling us to do the same. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. In John 20.21, Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, even so send I He's sending us out to the world as we follow him in obedience 
to touch them with the good news of Jesus Christ. Now watch the response, verse 11. So they, that's Peter and his friends, they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Isn't that incredible? Peter and his brother Andrew and his fishing partners, James and John, they left everything in order to follow Jesus. To those people who were watching them, they probably looked foolish. But here's the question they had to answer, and you must answer as well. Is Jesus Christ worth following, or is he not? You see, if he's not worth following, then then by all means, don't waste your time. But if Jesus Christ is worth following, then follow him flat out, full bore. With every fiber of your being, follow Jesus Christ. Not half-heartedly, but with all of your heart. To paraphrase G.K. Chesterton, following Jesus Christ has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and not tried. Like Peter, Jesus often meets us where we are. And many times his miracles begin where our strength comes to an end. We don't know how we're going to make it. We don't know how we're going to do it. You may not know how you're going to pay that bill. You may not know how you're going to respond to that person at work. You don't know how you're going to deal with the crisis in your family. You don't have to know all the answers if you know the one who is the answer. His name is Jesus Christ. He's calling you to follow him. He doesn't say, follow me, and I will eliminate all of your problems. In fact, if you follow Jesus, it might even create a few problems. But he does say, you follow me, and I will be with you. And he also knows exactly the best way to live. He created you. He doesn't say that if you follow me, life will be easy. But he does say, I'll be with you. And he does know what he's doing, does he not? Do you pray with me?